Through the fathomless depths of space swims the star turtle, the great Atuan, and on its back are four nerds trying to figure out just what it is that makes their cherry pratchets work, both timely and timeless. So rustle up some dwarf bread, don't mention the B-word around the Baron, and join us on a journey through the fifth elephant and the complete discography. Tonight, we are gathered here to discuss the 24th book in the Discworld series, The Fifth Elephant. The kind with a, you know, nose. Um, funny thing, this is the first book published in this century that we've read. It was copyright 2000. Well, boy, we are in for uh, a ride in the next 12 books or so. Uh, there's going to be a lot of emotions, and this one uh, really... Yeah, this, this is an important book to me. Uh, but let's get started first with our silly titles, and then uh, and then we'll, we'll introduce our special guest for the evening. Um, Anna, you want to start us off? Sure. I'm Anna, and I'm definitely just a normal secretary. I don't know why you'd ever think anything else. I am Justin, and I think I need to respect my character into diplomacy. I'm Aaron, Junior Assistant Social Oversecretary for the Low King. And I'm Catherine Alexander Sebastian Francis Quincy Murphy Cool Von Bugs, but you may call me Cat. And those dulcet tones were, in fact, our friend Cat Cool. Cat, uh, you want to, um, for the people who didn't recognize your voice, you want to tell us who you are? Hey, everyone. Uh, I'm Cat Cool. I am a uh, podcaster and game designer who, uh, I don't know, I do various things. Um, I, I made the campaign podcast and Autonomic, um, and, uh, a, a game called Noisy Persian Cards and a game called, um, Burn Bright. Um, and, uh, I'm around these days. I'm mostly not. Um, I've been doing this weird thing called writing. So, uh, that's, that's me these days. That sounds scary yeah it's scary. it's a it's a a whole a whole a whole new world but i mean not actually it's um very different than podcasting so i think that this my realization that you were a huge Discworld and terry pratchett fan uh just some random tweets that i noticed that you did where did you get started? This is this is the thing that I love with with the the really big Discworld fans. What what was your first book? My first book was uh, Equal Rights. Um, uh, the, the, the the disc for me is like, well, as it is for everyone, I imagine, extremely personal. Um, it uh, I didn't get started until my freshman year of college. Um, now a estranged friend was like you have to, you have to. And I was like, okay, what should I, what should I read? And they gave me, um, equal rights and then Mort. And I was like, okay, I'm, I'm sold. And then at that time I, uh, had to get my meniscus removed. Like, um, I did a lot, a lot of sports as a kid. And then I was a, um, construction worker and that 
completely destroyed my my knee so i needed a surgery when i was like 18 oof and um that laid me out for that summer and um i took the watch books and read all of them and then read all of the witch books and kept going like that until over the course of the summer i had read every terry pratchett book um and then like i played the mud for a really long time <laughs> you're the only other person nice. i've met who has cool the mud's so good it really it was. was it really really was it was really cool um and uh you know i i just think there i think it's a neat thing that not just uh sir terry himself but um Nigel Briggs and and uh, uh, yeah, um, and Stephen Planer and uh, Paul Kidby all are like really dear people to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I was very excited to see the news about the the uh, re-recording that they're doing of all of the books with like yeah. specific people like Peter Serafinowicz's death. The entire all of the the books is going to be it's going to be great. It is. It's going to be really great. Yeah, I'm. I'm really excited for those. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I have high hopes for the uh, amazing Maurice film. Yeah, how cute! What a fun book. Yeah, yeah. That was the first one that I gave my daughter to to read. Although she's now read the first three of the of the Tiff of the Tiffany books, um, because the fourth and fifth get. Well, I haven't read the fifth, uh, and the fourth gets. You haven't? No. Yep. No, we. Uh, I'm none, saving it for the end. Yeah. You're all doing it together. Yeah. Yep. I wow. might need a support group. Yeah, that's understandable. <laughs> I think I think the podcast is the support group. Yeah. That's a, we, that's, we've got a plan. That's cool. Yeah, that's that's cool. Understandable and cool. Yeah, but yeah, the the fourth Tiffany book gets into some very adult themes that I'm just not ready for a ten year old to have to deal with. So. Mm-hmm. You know. Uh, anyway, um, Justin, you want to take us away on the plot synopsis of Fifth Elephant? Okay, excellent. All right, yeah. Um, <clears throat> Commander slash Duke Sam Vimes has a new job, diplomacy. With the recent coronation of a new low king of the dwarves, Samuel Vimes has been appointed as the new ambassador to Uberwald to negotiate better prices for fat imports from the lard mines of the, do- of the dwarves. So... Sam and Sybil pack up and head to Uberwald, taking Cheery, Detritus, and Angua with him, as well as the assassin, I mean, secretary, Inigo Skimmer as aide. Carrot, following them, abandons his post with Gaspode the Wonder Dog to follow them. Things in Uberwald are in upheaval as the Scone of Stone, an ancient item used in dwarf coronations, has gone missing. The dwarves are close to civil war because of this, as rifts are forming between more progressive factions and more traditionalist parts of dwarf society. Sam introduces himself to the various leaders of Uvald, including Riz Rissen, Low King Elect, Lady Margolotta, the teetotaling vampire, and Baron von Uvald, the werewolf who is slowly becoming more beast than man. Through his investigation, Sam is framed for an attempt on the Low King's life, escapes with the help of the Lady Margolotta, and is forced by the Baron's son Wolfgang into a game of being hunted by the pack. Karen and Angua are able to save Sam, but Sybil is taken captive by the werewolves. 
Sam and his crew storm the castle, save Sybil, and retrieve the Scone of Stone, which is returned to the dwarves. It is revealed the stone is in fact an Ankh-Morporkian forgery, but that's okay. They replace the stone every few hundred years anyway, and the symbolic nature of the stone is more important than anything else. The stone is then used to compel D, the king's ideas taster, into confessing her role in the theft, due to frustration of how Ankh-Morporkian dwarves are allowed more freedom in their individuality. Vimes and Wolfgang have a final showdown where Vimes is able to kill the werewolf by making him play fetch with a firework. Sybil tells Sam she is pregnant, and they are awarded gifts from the new Dwarven King. Sam and Sybil take a second honeymoon slash baby moon, then reward then as reward for their duties. Back in Ankh Pork, there's been a whole current theme of with Vimes and Carrot leaving. Uh, Fred Cullen goes power hungry and is generally an ass to everyone in the watch. Dobby is forced to create a union and strike. Crime plummets due to this, and the book ends with Carrot returning and restoring order to the watch. And we're obviously skimming over a whole bunch of other things, uh, some of which we'll touch on tonight and some of which you'll have to just read the damn book. Yeah, that's the (laughs) recurring theme of uh, any, any, like, you know, summary we have to do is read the book. There is 90% of the stuff you are missing. (laughs) It's a good book. It's a really good book. It's a very good book. And it's a really complete, like, watch sort of ensemble cast it's it's a vimes book but it's definitely got a lot of other watch members yeah i had a question i was trying to remember this feels like one of the last ensemble ones to me is that right in terms of vime uh, the vimes books i mean thud thud and snuff okay snuff less than thud i was gonna say snuff i'm gonna call shenanigans on Mm. snuff is like pretty firmly vimes but but thud i can i can buy yeah Mm -hmm. This is definitely the tipping point from Ensemble into Vimes, though. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, this is Vimes and Friends, I think mm-hmm. I would yeah. uh, firmly define this as. Yeah, yeah I, I heard in in um, earlier episodes that, that you made the distinction between Watch Books and Vimes Books, and mm-hmm. I think that's a, a well-earned distinction. They, they really do separate out after a bit. Yeah, you know, and I think that it all started in, in Jingo, really, where, where mm-hmm. Sir Terry was like, Okay, Vimes is changing, and I think there's different stories to tell. Mm-hmm. You know, that rather than the 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 last honest man in Ankh-Morpork, uh, which is not Vimes but Carrot, but you know. And and I think this is something that we'll talk about as well. I'm sure, but I think Vimes's metamorphosis into like kind of the avatar of Terry's rage. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Yes, I'm very excited to discuss that. Yeah. And we also get a lot more Sybil in this book, which makes me yes. at least very happy. Me too. It's one of my favorite things. Yeah, she's taken like three or four watch books off to a very distant background role. Mm-hmm. And she fucking kicks ass here. Yeah, oh, she really does. delightful. It's just nice to see her. Yeah, she beats a werewolf unconscious with an iron pole and then goes and does dis- diplomacy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> which, you know, is perfect for her. And she and she largely rescues herself too. Mm-hmm. That um, you know, that's something that you know Justin understandably glossed over in their summary. But she she rescues herself. You know, it's certainly helped along by everybody arriving at the same time. But she you know that iron bar she took out of the window that she was being held captive by and uh, made herself a you know blanket and sheet ladder and <laughs> uh, was kicking ass and taking names. She also like. In doing the diplomacy 
and figuring out all of the spy shenanigans, she actually did all of the genre work mm. that Vimes yeah. ignored the entire <laughs> time. Yep. Yeah. Like, Vimes solved a murder, but like, that's the, the mystery, only thing Vimes could do. <laughs> right? That it's just like the mystery didn't actually have any bearing on things that were going on. Everybody's emotions were running high, and Sybil is the one who fixed all of that at every at every step. Yeah. yeah. And to top it all off, just like negotiates a banger trade deal for Encore Porn. Mm-hmm. Right? It's just like, damn, Sybil, really cool stuff. Yeah. 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 It's like, and I think that really that's Vetinari's point. Like, he doesn't need Sam to do the diplomacy, he needs Sam to distract everybody while the diplomacy is happening. Mm-hmm. Yep. Do we do we need to clarify anything for for uh, any of us here or the listeners about the either the the scone of stone or its namesake, the stone of scone or stone of schoon? I guess it's pronounced. We should probably. Yeah, I don't know about the namesake. Um, we should tell people how cool it is, at least. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, it's a. I mean, there's a lot of legends about it, but um, it's a sort of rectangular chunk of sandstone uh that's been that was that's what the kings of scotland sat upon to be coronated uh and then edward uh the first stole it in 1296 and it's what the monarchs of england and great britain uh were were crowned on until uh fairly recently uh i mean i think they probably still borrow it but um and actually funny story uh, it was stolen from Westminster Abbey in the 1950s by four students. Um, <clears throat> it was later returned, but there are con- continuous and persistent rumors that it's not the original. Interesting. Which has some nice parallels to what happens in this book. There is, there's a reference regarding the scone that I don't think I quite get or don't know. That There keeps being a reference to the thing and the whole of the thing, where yeah. like my my literary illusion sense is tingling mm-hmm. but i don't actually know what that's referring to yeah i mean the, the the whole thing with the dwarven faith predicated around this idea that the truth is a truth is a thing that can be known is really fascinating and and probably worth an entire separate deep dive um i did some digging and the thing that i can come up with that feels most right to me is that it's a a reference to kantian philosophies uh i don't know how to pronounce the german but ding an sich and don't at me please uh which is translates out to the true thing in and of itself which is utter, uh, ultimately unknowable interesting i'm sorry if you say don't at me for that, I, you would not, you don't know what I get on the bad pod mentions. You, somebody correcting your pronunciation. Oh, <laughs> you don't know. No, no <laughs> leave Aaron alone. Aaron doesn't know. <laughs> you can, you, you, um, you can add Zathras. Zathras won't pay attention. So that's, that's like what I could drag up and it feels right to me. But, you know. It's a nice phrase though. And like, it's kind of a nice mantra mm-hmm. about the scone yeah it, it rings very nicely to me yeah and you know it, i think it it paradoxically well not paradoxically i think it makes even more sense once you get the full story behind it that that, that it's been rebaked multiple times you know yeah. the, the thing and the whole of the thing is in fact you know 
the point it the the uh, the concept and the idea of the the scum the scum of stone is is the point not the actual physical object were dwarves to believe in magic or to be like users of magic i mean it could be that like you know the collective faith of dwarven kind in it even if it is a fake you know gives it its properties yeah mm-hmm. well if we we can jump right on to the is the scone imbued with the magic it might be because everyone believes in it and by the properties of how belief works on the disc there's no reason to believe that it doesn't actually work that way Mm -hmm. logically it doesn't but it might yeah there's so much evidence of just like the story and then the narrative continuing to drive things in especially in this book and in a place like uberwald um that uh that anything should be able to be in that slot because it is a thought item, not a physical item. Exactly. Yeah, for sure. The the scone is what it rep- is what it represents. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it almost feels like a, you know, a thought pattern from the witches mm-hmm. um, more than from an Ekmore pork book. And I think, you know, that, you know, if it were Granny Weatherwax saying like it works because you think it works then we would absolutely be on board. It's just we don't expect it in a Vimes book. Uh-huh. It's interesting. Um, but also we're like so much closer to the Ram Tops than we are to Ankh Morpork yeah. at this point. Yeah, definitely. That, we are. Yeah. Yeah. So, Justin, as the resident newbie, uh, tell us a little bit about your sort of broad thoughts. Um, banger of a novel. I like, like this is, uh, I just from like a, a first perusal thing of like, I mean, this, this is, like, a book that I'm, like, there, there aren't too many that immediately I'm thinking about, like, the next time I read this book. But this is one of them. Of immediately, I'm, like, I'm looking, I'm looking forward to at some point revisiting this book again. Because it's, like, it was very enjoyable from the start. It's, like, I'm somebody who likes Vimes as a character. And I think it's interesting to get him away from the police procedural. The... So the funny thing that I, I I mentioned that I was gonna drop this like random poll. So when I was growing up, my mom would borrow audiobooks from the library a lot, and there was a series of books that we we rented, rented a couple of, and I just remember these because I went on tricks trips. It was a series of spy novels called Mrs. Polyfax, uh, about a New Jersey like divorcee who becomes a CIA agent. Um, and in a very like stale beer and chips, like very like low key spy sort of way. And it honestly sort of reminded me of that, of like somebody from the big city goes to a different country uh, and does diplomacy, d- diplomacy and spy shit and gets into trouble and uh, does and gets out of it. And I think it's really interesting that like Terry immediate like builds like really builds up uberwald and carpe jugulum and then follows it up immediately with this Hmm. yeah it's a it's a really fantastic like just like set up in a pretty much unrelated book like none of the events in carpe jugulum get referenced here but we have hammer like it's it's no it's not really hammer horror land in this in this book it's it's much more hansel and gretel and like fairy tale land more 
We've shifted subgenres. Yeah, we've we've shifted regions within Ubervault, which I guess is subgenres. Yeah, but yeah. Grimm's fairy tales, not like yeah. modern sanitized ones. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, overall, this was uh, fantastic. And like always, uh, building up on the dwarves and gender is like I, I, two thumbs up. It perfect yep. chef kiss. Yeah, absolutely. I was I was so excited for you to read this one mm-hmm. because you were so enthusiastic about all of the Uberwald stuff in Carpe Jugulum. <laughs> I was just like, yes, 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 yes. They're going to love Fifth Elephant. <laughs> yeah, I do want to talk at some point about the whiplash between between the Magpiers and Lady Margalata, but that can, that can <laughs> yeah. get, go further down the discussion. I can't believe that that one was right before this yeah. one because yeah. they are so different. And I, the way that I read all of these things was by following the series. So I didn't have the context of um, like the order that they were actually written in. Mm-hmm. That's bonkers. It's just thematically wildly different. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Anna, Kat, do you want to? Yeah. What are your thoughts upon rereading? M- mine is basically that this is one that um, I I never think of as one of my favorites. Like, I have a a list of ones that are my favorites, but it is one that I consistently return to um, because it has, like, all of the building blocks of everything that I love in the disc in it. And it also sets up so many of the books I think of as, like, core that (laughs) that you all are about to hit, Mm -hmm. right? Um, And uh, it sets them up even... Even, like, there are proto-passages that I'm like, oh, he's going to write this again soon, and when he writes it again, it's going to be fully realized, and it's going to rock, you know? The, it's And it's just uh, really nice, and um, there are characters, like, I, I, I friggin' love Margalata, uh, obviously, <laughs> um, that start things like earmuffs, Justin, I'm so sorry. Um, (laughs) I haven't done that in a while. (laughs) Um, Like the Temperance League, Mm -hmm. obviously. It's like every every single vampire from here on out is the coolest thing I've ever seen. Um, Like Otto and Mal and everything are, they're just really important to me. Um, And seeing that that starts here because that wasn't what we were dealing with in Carpe Jugulum and prior to this, right? Mm -hmm. And it presages Thud too. Right. Um, okay, we can bring Justin back. Yeah, okay. Justin, How do we indicate that? <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> yeah, man. This is like, I'm like as soon as I'm free of this on Bad Pod, we, we hit the part where this is... A- <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sorry. Um, uh, we got it out of the way, though, so yeah. we won't have to do it again. <laughs> I have like a really complicated relationship with Vimes, um... Uh, I think that in talking to a lot of people, they're like, I love Vimes, except he's a cop. And I'm like, I get it. <laughs> but I'm like, I went, I started reading these books and I'm like, I hate that Vimes is a fucking cop. Um, and, <laughs> yeah. uh, but he has important things to say and he's an interesting avatar of Terry. And I feel like around here is where we really start hitting the like, Oh Terry, you're saying some really cool things about yourself, and you you know you know what you're saying now, and I I love it. Oh, it's so good. Um, and uh, it's also the book I guys Carrot's my least favorite Discworld character. Um, 
hands down my least favorite. Um, I can fully articulate why. Um, And this is my favorite book featuring him because I think it, like, lays out an undercurrent present in him that doesn't really get explored fully all the time that I wish would. Um, So I think it's a really cool book. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. All of that. Uh, I'm really looking forward to hearing your thoughts on carrot. That'll be that'll be interesting because I have I have some additional thoughts on carrot. <laughs> like all of that and the book slaps, right? <laughs> like, it's just a barn burner of a book. This thing really, uh, it plays jazz all over the place. It's mm. great. Yeah, the the plot is really tight. You know, Terry has really honed in on like, not just not just using comedy, but like the use of comedy as a break in dramatic tension, which both amps up the tension and amps up the comedy, you know, and makes you pay attention to what he's saying with the comedy. And it's just really well balanced. And I I just love it that, you know, we're we're heading into a lot of the Vimes books from here on out are substantially darker than this one. And you know, it's not that there's no stakes in this one, obviously. I mean, there's not that many there's not that many stakes, unlike Carpejaculum. The vampires are, you know, the the uh <laughs> uh not not the bad guys in this one, but it's it's not as dark as some of the stuff that we're going to see. Which I, I appreciate. Yeah. You know, uh I I realized while we were I was reading for this this episode um this is the trade pub that I picked up in an English language bookstore in Rome in like 2003 and have kept with me ever since and it's acidifying and pages are starting to fall out and I'm just like I'm not sure I can I'm not sure I, I might have to keep it even if I replace it with um with a hardback I've got a few books like that that are that are in the china cabinet yeah, it's uh it's one of my favorites. It it you know there's there's so many like characters that that get bit roles in here that I'm like, "Oh, okay. Yeah, this is where they're introduced." I said the Sam Sybil stuff and, you know, I think that the Carrot and Gaspode pairing is actually like one of my favorite little side bits in the book. It's really sweet. It's I fun. didn't hate Gaspode. You guys hate Gaspode? I see I remember <laughs> hating Gaspode. <laughs> See, okay. See, I remember hating Gaspode. Oh, no! Well, I love moving pictures. Okay. But also, apparently I don't anymore. Cool. (laughs) Because, like, the only things that, like, remained in my memory from Gaspode, apparently, are, like, the times when he's gross. Mm -hmm. Right? Oh, that's fair. Because, like, whenever Foul Old Ron shows up, I'm like... At first, I remember bracing, and uh, like now I love him. But but like yeah, I can understand going like oh gosh, we're gonna have to deal with some gross stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, uh, like the, yeah, the, the we get some like at various points. There's like some gaspode internal monologue regarding Angua, where I just, I'm like just just stop, no. Yeah. Um, and like that's what's cemented in my memory regarding gaspode, and yet we keep hitting him. I'm like oh, he's actually okay. Like, he's actually funny and like, you know, and he's a fantastic counterpoint here to the werewolves Mm -hmm. because he's, you know. He can translate. Yeah. um, And he's like coming at this like somewhere in between wolf 
and dog and human mm-hmm. from an entirely different angle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, very much so. That's I I like how how many characters in this are between worlds mm-hmm. and it's cool that he got included in it because of that. One other quick thought before we move on is this book feels like a lot of change too, especially knowing what's coming later mm-hmm. because it yeah. like with the clacks and with the other things like they've broken out of the medieval stasis trope. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. This is we're we're on our way to steampunk with this one. Yeah. And the nano the nano imp and mm-hmm. we even have vimes like remarking on it you know in character that like things are moving so fast like we're really mm-hmm. hitting the mm-hmm. the industrial revolution of Discworld. the imp it's powered funny. speed camera too i didn't realize that this was the the millennium book but uh so it, it feels like a really purposeful transition mm. and with it he also uh it it feels really arrived you know, yeah. like that the disc feels pretty set in, like he established all his themes and now he's uh you know like we he's we've jamming. Got the baseline and now we're ready mm-hmm. to advance it. Mm-hmm. As you said, he introduced us to Uberwald and now he's like, Okay, and now I'm gonna do something with it. Mm-hmm. I think like the the one of the interesting things is how when the book starts, the clacks are just firmly established and there's like procedures entirely for how it is and there's no and it's not about getting hiccups out of the system like like there's no problem in the book that's really caused by the misuse of the clacks they're just a plot device that is there now mm-hmm. which i find yep. very interesting it's gosh i'm trying to remember the there, there's a sociological term for it but it's like like the relative exponential growth of technology from like the start of like the 19th century to today where it's like mm-hmm. there are more innovations happening more frequently. Mm-hmm. I don't remember that, but it feels like we're getting there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like yeah. with, with this world that it feels like that's yeah. going to happen. Yeah. Leonard Decorum is not the only one coming up with, with things that function and I almost forgot he was in this problems. book. <laughs> yeah. He's like, he's like here for like three pages and like, <laughs> so much gets dubbed there and then like and then the next 300 pages happen yeah yeah uh aaron you brought up a really interesting point i think almost accidentally is that you know you picked up this book in 2002 and so we're hitting the point where you know you and i would have been reading basically as the books came out mm-hmm. which you know has a really different vibe to me Mm. Then, like, I wasn't quite reading them as they came out at this point. I think that um, it would have been around thud mm-hmm. that that's kicked in for me. But we're we're getting there. I mean, to my shame, uh, looking back on it now, I'm quite embarrassed about this. But I did, the Tiffany books I skipped over because I was, you know, a 20 something year old guy. And I was like, oh, this is YA, you know. Uh, and I mean, they're now my favorites, but that's that's a that's a separate discussion that we can that we can go on later. Do we want to talk about themes? <laughs> I guess, yeah. There's there's a sort of thing of, I I think there's like an undercurrent maybe of like things the things they represent and mm. what we attribute <laughs> to that. I mean, that could just be me and what I'm bringing to the book. <laughs> <laughs> Kat, as our, as our guest, would you like to uh, to 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 wheel around the ship? Yeah. So. <laughs> 
<laughs> as I as I put on the, in the doc, everyone is allowed to ship of Theseus once, <laughs> and and uh, <laughs> Sir Terry was like, uh, "I'm I'm gonna do it, and I'm gonna do it good, and I'm gonna put it in every portion of this." Uh, Terry can has a ship of Theseus as a treat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was really unrepentant about it, but I, as like as nauseating as it can be to constantly <laughs> encounter it in various <laughs> um, fantasy and sci-fi franchises, I really don't resent it here. Um, part of that might be that I'm a di- diaspora kid, um, and what we start with. Like, our first hint of it is the dwarves in Ankh-Mor Pork being an immigrant community. Mm-hmm. And uh, we just, like, branch out from there mm-hmm. um, with the, the constant themes of, like, how different things change and also stay the same. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, uh, but it, it hits up pretty much everyone and every community in this book. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, the immigration theme is is something that I latched on to uh this reread as well. Uh especially with the with the deep downers coming to Ankhmor Pork. You know, it reminded me a lot of the the sort of 1800s uh immigration of of Ashkenazi Jews into New York. Uh, mm-hmm. Because you know there were commun- there were parts of the communities that that integrated fully and were just sort of part of the the the, the community as a whole, and then there were these little enclaves of ultra orthodox who who you know did look down upon but also relied upon the people who had who had in fact integrated, um, and then the 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 in- more integrated communities you know l- needed that idea that people were continuing the old traditions as mm-hmm. well. Mm-hmm. Very much like it feels very apparent. These these themes read in I think lots of immigrant things. Like I see it happening in, in my Latino community. Mm-hmm. And thinking of it as a ship of Theseus is cool and more fun than a lot of ship of Theseus things that, that I'm used to seeing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it's not just that, right? We're also dealing with it present in individuals in the werewolves, um, which uh, also has elements of you can their otherness can be transposed onto to issues of race and etc. Mm-hmm. Right? You, yeah. In fact, there's a lot of white supremacy in this book. I, <laughs> I was going. I was like, I was like, when they introduced Wolfgangs, and they're like, there's like a wolf holding a lightning bit. I'm like, whoa! Yeah, <laughs> it, like, it, just, it just goes there very explicitly. Yeah, yep. I, I have a th- I have a note down somewhere in the doc here about like I like I picked like there's a very specific historical parallel that the von Uberwalds remind me of. It is not subtle. It also uh, presages how Wolfgang meets his end. Yes, it's yeah. real so cool that the lightning bolt in the in the yeah. mouth. I was like, oh, yeah. impeccably written. Um, a vampire who doesn't drink blood anymore, mm-hmm. um, but is herself a ship of Theseus because she's lived many lifetimes. Yes. Yeah. Uh, everyone, everyone E-gors. has this thing going on, E-gors. and as you said, oh, the Igors. Oh, oh, blessedly the Igors. I love, I love them. them so much. 
And then at the end, so like obviously everything about the Igors, and then at the end we are presented with an Igor who all the Igors are uncomfortable with because he's changing what it means to be an Igor. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um. Yep. Just just top notch stuff. Um. Also, like, like Aaron, you have this note at the top where you're like, I'm trying to find out what figure out what Vimes even is at this point. Like everyone's transitioning. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. It's really cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. He's like Vimes is is I don't know, Justin. You're gonna yell at me for using this term, but I feel like increasingly Vimes is a smark. Like he's aware that Vetinari is fucking with him, and is still okay with it. Yeah, I I I think it's like like Vimes is like in assuming his role as an author XP has like reached a level of genre awareness that he's like it's going to happen with to me whether I like it or not. Mm-hmm. I'm just gonna roll with that. Or he's just like eh, I'm in prison and running through for my life naked through the snow. It's mm-hmm. a Tuesday. Yeah, and you know I think that the other thing is like as you brought up the 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 theme of this this. Uh, ship of Theseus, uh, or my grandfather's axe, which he literally calls out. Um, the, the, there's this conflict between the the ones that can grow and change, the traditions that can grow and change, and the traditions that can't. You know, that's ultimately mm-hmm. why the the werewolves lose because their traditions don't grow and change. They, and when they yeah. when they do get changed, they cheat to keep them unchanged. Yeah. I feel like the werewolves are also a really interesting parallel to the magpiers mm. reaching back to Carpe Jugulum because the cheating at the game feels very, very much to me like what the magpiers do as opposed to as opposed to the um the old count. You know, the, the the old count, mm. right? Well Angela makes the point that her father didn't cheat at the game. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, it used to be a sporting thing and that, you know, you might get eaten, but you might you might come out OK and um, you had a decent chance of that and you'd be set for life if you did. And same thing, same thing with the the old count. And then we have the Magpiers and then we have Wolfgang who are cheating, changing the nature of the game. So it's no longer sporting. Uh, and then also, you know, Vimes is, and Justin, this is maybe a little bit of a spoiler, but deal with it. Uh, Vimes is exporting Ankh-Mork Park style policing to the rest of the disc. Yeah. yeah. You'll see more of that later. I, I mean, we get some, we get some notes of that, of like, that, like, um, what, uh, like in Genua, I think, uh, they're like procedures that are getting spread across the coast and the like. And that we get, like, during Captain Cullen's reign of terror, like, that a number of police officers quit to go to those cities. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and being like, you know, I was trained by Vime, so I can, you know, I Write can my set my anywhere. price. Yeah. 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 Um, other main themes we want to touch on? Do you want to talk about control a little bit, Kat? Yeah. I, I think that one of the, um, the, the themes of the book is... Uh, is control, um, control of others in terms of this whole diplomacy thing that we're, that we're struggling with, like control of, um, countries, control of groups of people, um, like species, uh, factions, and then, um, myriad ways of control of the self. Uh, we have a lot of different people struggling with 
elements of themselves, like Angua's doing it, Car- Carrot's doing it, Vimes is doing it. Um, and uh, then, like, phys- we even physicalize it with people like Wolfgang um, trying to, to deal with... Uh, dealing with his inner beast and getting stuck in between when it, when he spirals out of control. Um, but this book feels very tense a lot um, because there are a lot of people who are like slowly slipping pa- past the bonds of control as uh, emotions start to spiral up. Yeah. It's touched on with, with Lady Margalata as well. You know, the, the whole thing with her AA meeting uh, or, uh, a positive a meeting, I guess. Um, yeah, it, she meditates on that a little bit too. Yeah. Um, and what I part of what I love about that uh, is like we see her explain it really, and Terry explain it really there. But she also tried to just tell Vimes earlier, and yeah. he was like, "I don't have time for this right now. Oh. I, I don't have time to learn the lesson what you're trying to boy. just kindly give me." <laughs> There's a lot of people t- uh, trying to tell Vimes things and he's too busy not listening to listen. Yeah. <laughs> I, and I love the point where Sybil is like, Vimes, I, you know, Sam, I need you to just stop, <laughs> like clear your head and actually listen to me. Not <laughs> like, you know, pause the internal narrative. Stop thinking like a cop. I like that there's that bit early on in the book where, um, He's going off on his own tangent in his head, and like, and she's like, and and he's like on husband autopilot, and <laughs> like <laughs> that he's so like adapt at it. He makes a he like he makes a pun and a remark on there of like while he's agreeing with her, <laughs> just like, uh, yeah. <laughs> I do love the. I mean, you know, the the, the police stuff with Vimes is you know going to be an ongoing discussion but the vimes sybil relationship is just i think it's the best relationship like that has multiple books of relationship i think it's really well done that's there's this one moment in this where um they're it's it's at a really tense point in the book um the werewolves had captured sybil sybil got herself out everyone had gone to collect her anyway and then we're all backing away from the drawbridge of their castle um and detritus has his siege weapon pointed at uh, angus family um things are very tense and uh it, it feels like something's about to explode um i forget exactly what it is but sam's like either giving orders or saying something to try to keep tensions cold and then Sybil just says, like, a joke, and then Sam laughs. And I was like, oh, my God. No one makes him laugh. Mm-hmm. You know, that's not a yeah. that's not a thing. It's just so, so well done and so easy as compared to a lot of, like, well, not a lot of, but some relationships that he doesn't invest that, that time into and doesn't imbue with that, like, that ease and the casual domesticity that they have. Mm-hmm. It's just nice. Yeah. yeah. Something that I, I'm not sure is a theme, but I, I think it fits here. This book has the, you know, we're seeing a continuing divergence of Vimes versus Carrot, you know, away from even just the, the experienced cop and the newbie cop that we saw back in guards. And, and like 
it's interesting to think about the the facet of Terry that each of them kind of embodies. That we've got Vimes who really, really, I think, is an outlet for Terry to show his anger. Maybe Carrot as a you know mirror of optimism that Carrot always sees the world the way he wants it to be, like. And and not in necessarily a naive way, but he sees the best in people, and Vime sees the worst in people a lot of the time. And it's it's been really interesting to see them diverge. Yeah. Yeah, Carrot's com- more complicated now than he was earlier in the books. And also, increasingly, I'm realizing just sort of an avatar of white male privilege, maybe. Because <laughs> yeah, he literally just expects like, the world. Oh, there are reasons that Cat doesn't like Carrot. <laughs> yep. Yep. So something that I've like that I noticed a lot in that like was a a pretty consistent thing of like that was going through the book is there's a lot of times where especially in use of like force and control the mm-hmm. the expectation of what's going to happen. And and how that has changed or like the proper way to do things hmm. like with the game. And yeah, and especially with Inigo and the assassins and um, and like how and and there's a point in there where Terry describes weapons not as instruments to kill, but of instruments of deterrence mm-hmm. and. He just, and then you get to, and then he looks at Inigo's one shot, which is not a weapon. It's a killing tool. Mm-hmm. Like that's yeah. all it is. It's not there to, to disarm a situation by saying, you have an axe. I have an axe. Let's not get into this. It's, this is a weapon that is just there to end life. Mm-hmm. It can't, yep. it can't be used to protect anything. And like, and, and it's even used for like comedic effect there with Lord Fontelaine's. I think that's mm. what it is. Lord Fontelaine's rules of fighting, right. where it's like it's it's the box, which I think like might be an actual reference to Lord Mountain's rules of wrestling, but that's a whole other thing. I think it's the uh, boxing thing. Okay, yeah, but it's like it, it, and it's like this is how this is how a proper gentleman fights, and every time it's brought up, vibes just like and then you get a and then you get a Stein smashed your nose and you bleed. Oh, Marquess of Queensbury. I like that the dogs have that too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Queensbury rules, yeah. I, I really liked when Gaspode also implied that dogs have that because he was he was mad that Gavin was fighting by via those rules. Oh Gavin. <laughs> yeah, oh Gavin. Gavin is like, you know, for, for a character who you know Gavin is a I perfect think, foil for carrot. Mm-hmm. Gavin might be like just like going off of it, like for like the amount of screen time Gavin gets, like so far, Gavin might be the saddest death I- I've gotten through it, the first twenty-four books of Discworld. Like proportional to screen time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, the spe- speaking of carrot too. So, cat, your your point of like that carrot really embodying a lot of like white male privilege. Um, mm-hmm. Vimes even comments on it at some point. Yeah, I don't I- think Vimes likes carrot he doesn't need to you yeah. know like that's not but but I, I don't think he he still he's taught carrot he's done everything he needs to I mean vimes like why would vimes like him but yeah. that's not the sort of thing vimes is into well vimes vimes's family doesn't like kings so yeah exactly <laughs> exactly <laughs> well that's the like i can't like carrot because i don't like kings and carrot is the 
chosen one king of Ankh-Morpork pork who this story supports and makes yeah. everything go his way so yeah. i don't like him yeah that, that and vimes has this comment like in his internal monologue of like that you know carrots a man who always rolls sixes mm-hmm. but like <laughs> but he's not the one rolling the sixes right um which is a yeah, really interesting it's a thing comment. that's it's a thing that's happening around him. Mm-hmm. It's not Carrot's fault. It's absolutely not Carrot's fault. But this is the most interesting book because because Carrot knows. It's not that Carrot, because Carrot's not dumb. Like, yeah. he's n- not a stupid person. And it is tragic when, like, Gavin died because otherwise Carrot would have died. Um, Gavin is a sacrifice by the story mm-hmm. so that carrot could keep existing and doing his thing. Yeah. It's really interesting looking at carrot in this versus in Jingo. Yeah. Yeah. And this to me, it's, it's neat that we have like Gaspode cause carrot doesn't even need to talk and he doesn't bother doing it for the most part. So carrot, I was talking to my friend about this and my friend was like, yeah, carrot feels like a terminator in this one. He's just like <laughs> determined and using his charisma and plowing through the snow. And he's terrifying from an outside perspective. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That yeah. everybody encounters him and is like, yes, we will give you all of the things that you could possibly want just as long as you don't kill us. And he's like, well, exactly. What did I do. I just smiled at them. Mm-hmm. Right. He has the divine right of a protagonist. Yeah. Exactly. He has the divine right of a king. And that is a scary-ass thing. Mm-hmm. It's only not all that scary in Ankh-Morpork because everyone in Ankh-Morpork is a heller. And uh, he's diffusing tensions by knowing people's name and using his charisma as a weapon. Mm-hmm. And everyone there is armed. But not everyone in the disc is armed. Most people are in dire straits. So Carrot is a terrifying tool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I've always seen him that way. I've always seen him as like a very scary thing, protected by like the narrative force of this world where narrative force is like a material thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and it's the thing of like, if it weren't for his upbringing as a dwarf, God knows mm-hmm. what would happen to him. Yeah, yeah. I'd like, right? Like, it's not, I, I'm not just like, I don't think Carrot is a bad thing to discuss. I'm not mad that yeah. he made him. I just can't like him. So <laughs> yeah, he, he, um, he started as a nature versus nurture joke and then he became a nature versus nurture discussion and he started it with the dwarves and then he attached like, Vimes to him because Veterinary would have killed this boy if Vimes didn't show up and contain him, mm-hmm. yeah. you know. And it's cool, I mean, it's interesting yeah. at least, mm-hmm. yeah. And I do think there's like some something that I do like about Carrot in this particular book is apart from like Vimes interrogating it, like I it's something that's just nice in the narrative of like is that. Carrot's dwarvishness is never called in. Like, Cheery is like, oh, yeah, no, this is like, you know, like, you know, like, Carrot's the most dwarf dwarf there is. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, that. that's something that I like. I, the like, just that's a, a dynamic that I'm like, I'm glad isn't a problem. Like, isn't a problem yeah. the encounter? I, I just find that very interesting because it's like, it's the one thing that I'm like, no, that's just, we're not going down that road. Yeah, carrot doesn't even really intersect with the with the dwarf plot. 
in this book. No. Aside yeah. from the initial Ankh-Mark Parkside investigations, which I do love. Because, man, I always <laughs> feel like if Carrot were to interact with the dwarf side of the plot in this, he would end up sitting on that scone. Mm. <laughs> yeah. It, 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 you know, like, it's probably I don't know best how it would happen, but it would happen. Yeah. I mean, it's probably best that, like, that Car- Carrot's had, like, three plots now where he's almost become a king. We don't need him in anymore. <laughs> yeah. 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 And and I do like that this book shows the darker side of him that you know, the the influence and you know danger he represents to you know all the randos he encounters on his travels. Mm-hmm. Should we talk about wolves a little bit? Yeah, yeah. Um, I think that uh, Angua's family's motto I think serves as an, as another yeah theme that I forget what the Latin is exactly. But uh... it, do you have it? Homo hominis lupus, I think. Yes, maybe? that's exactly it. Good job. It, and it translates to uh, a man is a wolf to other men. And uh, it explores that fully. Gaspode and Angua do a good job of dispelling the notion that uh, wolves are at all dangerous. In fact, uh, what Terry's trying to get across is that uh, men are men to other men and men are mm. monstrous. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, as... As has been pointed out, the other books are going to get darker, but this one starts to get dark, and it doesn't really stop. Mm-hmm. So it's, I feel it's an explore, an exploration of monstrousness, which we've already started when, in our discussion of how this is a pretty different carrot than we're used to seeing mm-hmm. him. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know, and the switching from Carpe Jugulum to this, like, vampires are, are goth nerds and werewolves are prep jocks, I guess, and just... That's mm-hmm. what we see for the rest of the time. Yeah, that is true. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we're going to see Otto next book, and I'm so excited about that. Uh, yeah. Oh, my God. Oh. Oh, I'm so excited for Justin. Yeah. <laughs> uh, actually, uh, speaking of things from next book, I think, Justin, I think I need to have you take off your headphones just for a minute. Two. I'm so sorry. Two in one I'm episode. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Um, I'm, since we've been talking about Vime so much, Mm -hmm. I'm really looking forward to the truth because we get to see Vimes from a different point of view. That's so, does not come across well. Mm -hmm. Yes. Well, he did. Why would he? Right. He's a fucking cop. And William is such an interesting character because that he gets like so much. He to me, he's like this fucking rich white boy, but he's like a great rich white boy. He's fantastic. Mm-hmm. He's like a really cool perspective character. And ev- oh god, I love the truth. Yeah, yeah. what a great book. Yeah. I'm, uh, I'm really, I'm really looking forward to that that you know paradigm shift. Mm-hmm. It's uh. uh how wonderful to see Ankh-Morpork Pork through the eyes of anybody else ever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I Definitely. think we can rescue Justin now. Yeah. Come, come back. Come back. Come back. Come back. I'm so <laughs> I'm so sorry, buddy. <laughs> um yeah, it, you know, I guess another sort of through line of this that we can sort of briefly touch on probably is is this idea of diplomacy like, you know, after the after the events of uh Jingo 
uh, I guess uh, Al Kali and um, and Ankh-Morpork have have mended fences and are back to to routine trading to the point where Terry makes a, a joke about um, that that's a direct re- political reference from from the time of what, when when Ankh-Morpork sneezes Al Kali gets a cold, um, <laughs> which is you know it's it's a reference to the the, um, the sort of the I guess the tiger economies. Um, but you know, the, um, yeah. Something that I think is interesting about the diplomacy in this is that it feels mega unresolved. Yeah. Um. Right. Mm-hmm. Like you're like, oh, everyone's a, everyone's veterinary in in this, and uh, like the way that the battle for control is. I think at the I think a while ago, Justin, you were like, the vampires aren't the bad guys, and I'm like. Is she not though? <laughs> you know, like I love her. <laughs> I think an she's an asshole. Yeah, she's she's an she's an asshole, but she's like she's not the antagonist here. She's yeah. not the antagonist yeah. of this book, but like Reese is an asshole. <laughs> they all are, <laughs> and yeah. it's yeah. great. You know, that's like, and uh, and we see materially. Like, I don't think that this. Um, uh, we're kind of getting into the what tropes is the book engaged with satirizing and like the book is engaged in discussing the idea generally of the russian spy novel but not hugely but like the parts that it that that terry's invested in getting right is the fact that like diplomats are often spies who are jerks um who are um not Diplomacy is just espionage with immunity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Nobody here is doing anything nice. We're all trying yeah. to exploit, encroach on each other's various privileges, um, and extract whatever thing you're you're there mm-hmm. for today, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, as Vedanari said at one point, um, uh, imagining he imagined a, a world where wars were fought with war- words, and we're starting, this really <laughs> feels like we're starting to get there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And even though Vimes feels pretty oblivious to a lot of it, we the reader get to see that, no, everyone's horrible, mm-hmm. and it's nice. I'm and- not, not going to... I'm not gonna go down the. I'm not gonna go down like the the Francis Fukuyama train on another podcast. <laughs> Although, as soon as I read your your Russian spy novel thing, I was like, oh my god, this is also somewhat of a Tom Clancy novel because yeah, he I mean, goes into very detailed descriptions of weapons in certain places, and I'm just like, mm-hmm. oh, that's a trope. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's uh, yeah. I mean, it's. That that little there's, clip there's, of like looking at the dart and like you know Vimes Vimes felt like if he touched it his his fingers would burn mm-hmm. <laughs> or describing Detritus as peacemaker you know, oh, yeah. at length or as I have I have I have effectively referred to it in the notes Chekhov's watcha. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. I think it's really interesting to compare this book to Jingo because in Jingo we have two Vimeses. And oh, one veterinary. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Here we have one Vimes and five veterinaries. Yeah. yeah. Four. Something like that. Certainly at least three. And then and then also we do get to see some veterinary himself. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it's really interesting to see how that changes the dynamic. God, I love how the fact that the plot didn't work was because the people involved didn't understand that the ephemerality of the truth was the point of the truth. Yes. Yeah. Oh, God. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) 
such a good book. Uh, <laughs> it's really good. It's really it's Also, Igor's. <laughs> Gosh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of tropes. going from one to many, like I mean, okay, I want to have. There's a like the way the assassins are presented in this book, like through through uh, Inigo specifically just feels like a reannual joke to like predicting the entirety of assassin's creed <laughs> <laughs> it's just like like the like like obviously these things have realized but it's just like the palm blade the one shot it's just like like the assassins and all their tools i'm like this just feels like a predictive joke now of when, like when was the first assassin's creed game and when was Reed so? Cratchit a writer on it this is my other question uh, it was 2008. I was a senior in high school, so okay. Um, like I, yeah, this was like there's a, there's a definite gap between when the book was published and when that became a thing. It's just like it's very funny of just like I was like I immediately thought of this thing and it's like oh wait no this came out before the thing. I think I think it's a really interesting um, alternate portrayal of assassins too that uh, we've seen a few different categories of assassins. And Skimmer feels like tea time if he wasn't insane. Oh, mm. that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. That they they are the same. Well, he's focused. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're the same. They're in the same category within the Assassin's Guild of the. They're scholarship the scholarship boys. boys mm-hmm. That they're there on their, you know, their individual merits, not on mm. their connections. Was was tea time or was he left at the doorstep i'm trying to remember i think he was a i think he was a foundling yeah Yeah. i think they fit into the same category though of being there like largely you know being there kept on kept with the assassins based on their skill as assassins not yeah their value is based on their skill not their name Mm -hmm. right that's the Inigo is very important to me. I was a full ride scholarship kid at a very rich person's high school, uh, and I was not a wealthy person. Um, so I figured out Inigo's deal before Vimes did, and I was like, Vimes, how are you not getting this mm. about it? Um, and I thought it was really I was devastated when he died. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, and uh, and I I thought it was. I thought it was interesting that more wasn't done there mm. Mm. Um, because like it's a because Vimes cares a lot about class um, and uh, I feel like it's a really potentially interesting conversation, but it, it might show us the limits of his capacity to care about class because it he he doesn't know how to reckon where violence like meets this mm-hmm. you know yeah mm-hmm. at least he won't for a few books mm-hmm. yeah it's like he can he can like maybe like scan that like oh hey you came from this but he doesn't know how that intersects with his current status of like the as a guild member mm-hmm. especially well, like it's as you said before that one shot really confused him because yeah. it threw his understanding of what weapons were for mm-hmm. for a complete loop. Yeah, because like the- to me, weapons are never actually for uh, deterring violence. Just 
owning a weapon is an act of intimidation and mm-hmm. that is violence in and of itself, right? Mm-hmm. But that's not how Vimes thinks. At least right. it's not how he yeah. thinks yet. Mm-hmm. That's he he doesn't know this about himself. So being forced to look at a weapon that is only for killing like is forcing him to like think of new categories of violence and new categories of person. And it's so interesting to see the one shot after seeing the gun. Yeah, that's what I was. Uh, yeah, that's what I was just thinking of because I, it, you know, that's that's on the level of the one shot there mm-hmm. of that. Like, I mean, the gun is. I, I think it's like that is that is something that is like a like I would say that's almost an instrument of horror to like uh, that's how Vimes perceives it of like. It's a level of industrialized warfare. I mean, and killing. nearly everybody saw it that way. Like almost all of the yeah. Assassin's Guild saw it that way too. And the imp- and like that and like it's I this is one of those things where like I w- I would have loved to see like how he reconciled those two as like a differences thing. Yeah. Um, but I, I just maybe there wasn't like wasn't something that was considered to put the space in the text. But it's just like those two things of like. Both of these things are things that instill horror in Vimes on some level. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, I think Inigo touches on it earlier when, when Vimes first yeah. finds the one shot on him and is, and he's, you know, confused. He's like, you know, if you had this in my city, you'd, you know, be strung up by your vulnerables or whatever. And, and he goes like, well, we're not in the city. So all the rules are off. Which is also really interesting and messed up. Right. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. That like, why hey ank more pork why like like i I, veterinary i do understand that you only care about the city but other people under veterinary why like (laughs) that's (laughs) that's not an okay thing yeah Yeah. i I, I, I also sort of a proto dark clark isn't he yeah he he, is he explicitly referred to as one at any point okay well but that's what he is right Sorry, Justin, that's another spoiler. Yeah, yeah so no, sorry. This is the point where like, my eyes just sort of lose focus where I'm just like, <laughs> okay, this is a name I don't recognize. Yeah. I, yeah, it's, I think it's like like the thing of like killing someone for owning a weapon or something. I think there, I think there's like points where it's like Terry's view on a thing intersecting with like the, li- I don't want to say the limitations of what he's created in Ankhmore Park, but like, I think there are some points where it's like, there's the last 5% that we quite haven't quite gotten there sometimes in the watch books mm-hmm. um, yeah. of like figuring out, well, what do we do different instead? But And I think, I think that there might be a certain aspect of Terry not having quite sorted out his thoughts on the matter yet either. I think you're right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, this is something that, you know, I've been really uh, enjoying as something to watch as a through line during this reread and something I'm really looking forward to in the rest of the books too, following that thread. And we've seen, we've seen Terry evolve so much and we still have a lot of books to go. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's fascinating. You know, I, I never, my, my reading order was what does the library have or what does this airport bookstore have, you know? (laughs) So that's cool. Really reading it chronologically uh, is fascinating. It's not the way I would tell people to do it, but it's fascinating. <laughs> yeah, that's the the way I did it was by um, illegally downloading a giant 
<laughs> batch of all of them. Uh, and uh, then then buying them. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, that's, I, I have the, I managed to, yeah, I, the I invested nice in the, nice. yeah, the, the nice ones. Um, but, uh, but like getting to choose to, to do them all that way was, was really, was neat. But like, I can't imagine just reading whatever you could find. It must've been really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, popcorn style, which I need to know what was the first one you read. So weirdly enough, I, the first B- Discworld book I read was actually Color of Magic when I was too young to appreciate it. Sure, uh, sure, sure. I was like twelve. I mean, I don't think you know. <laughs> like, you know, I'll say that like as somebody yeah, who sure. read their first Discworld book at twenty nine, and it was the Color of Magic. Mm. I think you can sort of say like. Mm, yeah, maybe not a lot. You know, to I was that. I was like, though, this is a funny sword and sandal parody thing, and I didn't get it. And then, you know, I think that I think I don't really remember how I jumped back into it. It just sort of then became part of my life later on. I probably picked up guards at some point, you know, uh, probably picked up Morton at some point, and then you know, it was off to the races. Yeah, cool. I don't remember exactly what my first few were, but I have largely religiously read through all of the books in chronological order hmm. wow like you know this is, cool. this is i think probably about my third reread hmm. starting at one and ending at this is the the first one where it's a complete set that's really really cool now now i want to try i've just never done it that way it's it's a really wild way to go because you know it, as we've been finding out with doing this, it's really, um, you get to see a lot more of Terry's psyche than Mm -hmm. you do picking them up, you know, even with just picking up, you know, reading the watch books in order and then the witches books in order, because, you know, seeing things like the bounce immediately from Carpe Joculum to this one is fascinating. Hmm. Yeah, that's the I would never have guessed. That's just a really fascinating jump. Yeah. Or yeah. or even like, you know, that he's picking up in Carpe Jugulum stuff that he left off in Small Gods forever ago. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, also something that like you can really notice especially having now read 24 of these things is how he incredibly grows as a writer. Mm-hmm. Um mm-hmm. I think there is a I would say that there is for most first-time authors being published majorly, there's a higher floor these days. Just, like, in my... It just it feels that way, sort of. That, like, there's a higher floor for authors now. But, like, from Color of Magic to this is, like, a, like a quantum leap of, like, stuff. But it's also, like... Like, and Aaron, I think you noticed this, but, like, the action scenes in this book are so good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, like like they're tense, they're interesting, and that's they're not something clear. that's really been. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's not something that's really been like that's not been a hallmark before. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. an interesting development. Yeah, the yeah. Coach, this really does feel like a love letter to practical combat. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the coach ambush sequence is is just masterfully written, and also you know just has a whole bunch of Hollywood tropes. You know hinted at just enough so that you like get what's going on but it's not just sort of like and here's the thing i'm referencing and now here's the other thing i'm referencing you know yeah no it flows mm-hmm. uh, all of the the uh action sequences are really nice they're the one of the 
the tropes that we have is uh you know man the most dangerous game <laughs> but like <laughs> but it it wasn't none of it was i would say the only it it wasn't boring it had one weird ass thing in it <laughs> but aside from um aside from running into those sisters all of the the action in it was was solid and uh was felt good to read yeah the, the anton Chekhov aside was very strange <laughs> Very, very strange. <laughs> but you know, honestly, it works for me though because it helps break the tension <laughs> of that sure. race sequence, right? Like yeah. that you know you're like, okay, he's like he's running through the snow, he's gonna die. <laughs> like the werewolves are after him. He's toast, and then you get this like weird aside with like the three old ladies and the uncle's pants, and it's like, <laughs> okay, and yeah, it gives right. you the chance to take a breath. Yeah. And otherwise there's really no uh reprieve from the action and you know I don't I don't mean reprieve like you know um that the action is bad but you know, having No, no, you're right. having the chance to take a breath and reassess and then you jump into the action and it intensifies again mm-hmm. because you've had that chance to take a breath. Right. The A and B plots in those are both super tense, and only the C plot, which is the, the Fred plot back in Ankh-Morpork, Pork, has mm-hmm. any humor. And it's so minor; we don't spend a lot of time there. Yeah, yeah. And even that, even that is not without its tension. Mm-hmm. You know that agreed. The entire watch quits. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> what what a funny thing a uh, a what you call it based. Um, uh, strike um you, you know like yeah f- fun humor <laughs> the entire work uh the entire watch is um unionizing yeah <laughs> just fun and happy times banking more i more i do love the fact that like in a very prescient thing the watch going on strike means that crime plummets yeah <laughs> hmm. like that's right it is hilarious but it also like it shows there's discrimination happening and people reacting very poorly to Fred. And you're like, oh, this is tense, too. This isn't great. I don't like this. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, do we want to pull any buttons? Oh, uh, boy. I mean, God, I can we like talk about Cheery? Book. But, like, the, the, yeah. the I can uh, wear we whatever I yet. want. We haven't been spending time on Cheery yet. Yeah. Like, I, I think this is, it's, there's a lot of just, like, really good beats in this book for that for like the the changing of dwarf culture in general mm-hmm. and um I mean, like the final thing that she lands on of like you know i'm gonna wear what i want to wear and like you know deciding like i don't need to be like i don't need to performatively do what i want i i just want to do what i want mm-hmm. and yeah I, I i love that but it's just it's fantastic and and that really resonated with me as you know a woman in a you know male-dominated profession um where you know through a lot of my professional career i've had you know especially through school it was very much the like oh it's it's okay if you're a woman as long as you're not like girly right and coming to terms with the fact that no i can i can embrace that side of myself and it's okay has taken a lot of like mental work um 
And it's, you know, it's, it's something that uh, really resonated with me. Yeah, there's so much good cheery stuff. Uh, and, you know, the, and sort of a parallel to that, I feel like detritus is slightly less awful in this book, too. Um, you know, I, I think he's probably still grieving Cuddy in somewhere in him. Mm. Uh, and then, you know, when when the when the dwarves start throwing slurs at at cheery and he's just like, I know what that word means and I don't like it. I just yeah. was just like, yeah, I like you to try this. Yeah, taking him out of Ankmore Pork really helps. Uh, up into the cold, in fact. Yeah. Literally. Yeah. Um, I also really like a lot of the stuff with Sybil. There's a section that just has, like, three different lines that hit, like, one, two, three. And it's amazing that there's the, the line about how some of the baggage that Sybil had been kind of hampered with throughout her life was the injunction to be pleasant to people and say helpful things and that people took this to mean that she didn't think. Hmm. Um, Then right after that, Seraphine simply assumed that Sybil would naturally agree with her stupid opinions because she was a lady. And then the absolute kicker, which was she was large and she was kind. She hadn't enjoyed school much. A society of girls is not a good one in which to be large and kind because people are inclined to interpret that as stupid and worse, deaf. Yeah. Yeah. Like that, that, you know, it's a great, the the three the three pieces strung together and they're they're strung together across about three pages or so. Mm-hmm. It's very good and it's kind of they're also strung together around the time that Sybil is kind of really becoming a badass. Yeah, she is she breaking out here or is she working up to, uh, <laughs> to yelling at Angua's mom? Um, <laughs> I forget exactly. It's it's through that it's around that section. Yeah, though. it's in that it's in that area. Yeah. It's good. The The thing is, it's good. Yeah, yeah. And Vetinari has another thing that I would point out as a button, which is, you know, it's it's one of the humor lines. But it's um when he's talking with Colin, and Colin says, "Not natural in my view, sir. Not in favor of unnatural things." And (laughs) Vetinari replies with, "You mean you eat your meat raw and sleep in a tree?" (laughs) I'm just like, good burn, good burn, (laughs) Vetinari. I, I liked the, well, he thought, so this is diplomacy. It's lying only for a better class of people. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. But, and the other ones, I I liked this. Um, it's a weird quote but at, at the end, but I, I still like it because it's it gets into that. Okay, I'll just talk about it. I'll say it and then we can talk mm. about it. It's, uh, it's a, a Vimes quote. And it's all he knew is that you couldn't hope to try for the big stuff like world peace and happiness. But you might just be able to achieve some tiny deed that would make the world in some small way a better place like shooting someone. Hmm. <laughs> right? Um, <laughs> which is a really interesting thing. But it is getting us. It's progressing our character. Mm-hmm. Um. And it is, it's changing our relationship with violence. Yeah. Or realizing it. Yeah. I mean, th- despite all of his protestations that he is not stone-faced Vimes, <laughs> um, I mean, there there's a lot of points where Sam is asking for a reason. Yeah. To, like, Agreed. yeah. Like, it, it, it's, 
like he he isn't actively seeking like he's not actively seeking out but he is shifting his window of acceptable morals to would I do this for the right reason? Would I or would I do this for the, for an absolute necessity? Would I do this for the right reason? Would I do it for a good reason? Yeah, mm-hmm. but, which I'm excited to see where that goes. And <laughs> and cat along right along with that line is another one another one that's fantastic, um, which is the. It's it's another bit of Vimes' internal monologue, and it's something like, you know, that he had the urge to, like, crack a joke, but he knew that he couldn't, because if he did, yes. it'd make him a, it would just make him a murderer. Mm-hmm. It would make it murder. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's it, it lampshades all of the action hero cracking a joke stuff. Yeah, really tight. Indicates that he knows that it still is murder. Yeah. <laughs> but, but... Vimes is getting to a place where he's thinking whether or not murder is acceptable under some circumstances, and in fact, does make the world a better place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is an interesting thought set for this character, and not just this character, but perhaps our author. Yeah. And, you know, I think it's also important that, that Vimes does everything that he can to couch what he does in what he feels is, is moral acceptability because he's, he's doing it in front of other people and very loudly and repeatedly gives Wolfgang the opportunity to not do what he's trying to do. You know, the whole litany of the fair warning that. Yes. Yeah. He, he makes sure that they are witnesses Mm -hmm. and then he really goes out of his way to to make sure that he has given this person a fair chance which in yeah. the in the discussion of vimes as cop is really interesting too yeah and you know obviously the thing in the whole of the thing is something that we'll, we'll talk mm-hmm. about but yeah justin sorry oh um no i just so i didn't put this in the doc because i cannot i couldn't figure out how to but i there's something about d that like i think is interesting and I think there's a initially I thought like about comparing D to the the trope of or and the the yeah the misleading falsehood that like homophobic people are secretly closeted themselves. Um, but then I started to think about like the toxic like when like genuinely closeted people do like engage in toxic behavior out of a self-loathing yeah i was gonna say like d doesn't feel fake you know yeah there's there's a very authentic uh feel to that where it's like it it like as soon as i like examine it like it's not the former that doesn't feel like what is going there but instead it feels like somebody who has been like put in a situ like who is closeted and doesn't have the ability to express that because of where they are and position. Um, and it's, and it's I, literally only being on a mythical object of truth that causes mm-hmm. her to be able to vocalize and probably express to herself what her motivations are. And I think it's compared to like how Wolfgang is, you know, gets killed uh the the fate of d is instead cheery offering her help Mm -hmm. and i and i i think that's 
for a Vime-centric book and how Vimes generally solves problems, um, it's it's honestly like a little ref- it's it's refreshing to see like that being how one of the antagonists is treated. Yeah. Yeah. D D's emotional turmoil is so so palpable once it comes out. You know, it's it's very believable that she would go to these lengths to defend this this cognitive dissonance in her head of, you know, what she's seeing versus what she's been told. It makes the the gifts actually feel earned too, right? Like the society and everyone in it was protected and cared for. That mm-hmm. um the contingent for Manic More Pork did a good job and didn't get anybody needlessly hurt that they were the good neighbors, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, Vimes very specifically tells his dwarven gar- jailers, like, I am not killing you. You see me mm-hmm. not killing you. They gave me a weapon <laughs> yeah. to kill you, and I am not using it. It is interesting for a thing that is often feels like a meditation on violence, mm-hmm. but... uh it there's very little actual violence that takes place. Mm-hmm. It's great. I think we should I think we should talk about Angua though. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Yeah. So I have this one quote that's um that's from Gaspode and Carrot talking to each other. Um so Gaspode says, Wolves hate werewolves, and Carrot says, What? That can't be right. When she's wolf shaped, she's just like a wolf. Um and Gaspode says, So when she's human shaped, she's just like a human. What's that got to do with anything? Humans don't like werewolves. Wolves don't like werewolves. People don't like wolves that can think like people, and people don't like people who can act like wolves, which just goes to show that people are the same everywhere, said Gaspode. He assessed the sentence and added, even when they're wolves. Which I think talks about a lot of what's going on generally, but mm-hmm. uh, but also explicitly articulates a thing that's been going on with angua but hasn't been like fully realized until this book right yeah yeah definitely. <laughs> terry was just like no we're gonna we're gonna really dig in and do it this time and and gave angua that element of the spotlight uh i don't know how are we all feeling about angua um i think the book leaves her on a pretty dark note to end things uh, yes <laughs> yeah which is um it's like uh, i be screaming no please just go somewhere else please <laughs> yeah leave on warp work <laughs> yeah i don't get it oh i guess i get she seems to want to be doing the watch thing i think yeah i always in every book where we have angua i wish that we had more angua mm-hmm. and this is not an exception that's true i like like angua a lot and i don't it's like you could double the screen time for her mm-hmm. in this, and you, she would still be below screen time average. And I feel like she deserves just she deserves better in terms of like the amount of focus, mm-hmm. and she deserves more than to just be like part of the carrot subplot. Yeah, yeah, Absolutely. and you know she does branch out from that in, to some degree, but you know she's largely there even in this book as the motivation for carrot to go do his thing Uh his carrot thing i mean she is like dealing with her family right and i do i'm happy that sam and sybil help it feels like they're actively trying to make it so that angua doesn't have to fight her family yeah and they mostly do a good job of that and uh i feel for her through all of that but i wish we got more of her through all of that instead of carrot 
And then I personally am like, okay, why didn't she break up with him actually, though, at the end of this and actually start living her life? What is going on with Angua? Mm -hmm. She's so confusing. I think she's so confused. Yeah. Yeah. I think that going to Angmorpork has irrevocably changed her, just like it has, just like it changes everybody who goes to Angmorpork. Yeah. So she's she's neither fish nor fowl at this point. She's she doesn't truly fit in in Uberwald, and she doesn't truly fit in in Angmorpork. And but she feels like she can actually do things in Angmorpork because nobody fits in Angmorpork, which is what makes Angmorpork Angmorpork. I always wonder if there's an aspect of like I'm gonna I'm gonna bring in. Cat, have you watched Ted Lasso? Yes. Okay. I'm gonna bring in I'm gonna bring in my Reset the clock. <laughs> okay. Um I'm I'm gonna bring in my carrot versus Ted thesis here okay. a little bit. Um sure. so I find it really interesting having, you know, binged Ted Lasso repeatedly at this point. Um to compare the toxic positivity aspects of Ted to those of Carrot. And I think that they're very similar characters in a lot of ways. And I think that some of the stuff that we see on screen with Ted's wife um, and now ex-wife is maybe a little bit of what is going on for Angua. It's just that we don't necessarily ever get we don't really ever get there in the plot mm-hmm. um yeah but this the feeling of like that carrot slash ted is so good how could you not love him like the feeling that you just should love this person and be with them because everybody does maybe i'd be with you if it weren't for the last scene of the book like i think that there. I think that there are potentially several forces acting on Angua. I think that maybe the story is acting on Angua and creepily keeping her with Carrot at different points, which is terrifying. (laughs) Um, And I think that if it's just Angua, because she, like, she picked Gavin, right? And Gavin and Carrot are very similar. Maybe there are things about them that are just, like, this feels like the person I'm supposed to be with. But then the last scene of the book happens, and Carrot calls upon the divine right of kings and demands that the rest of the watch come back. And that's terrifying. And in that passage, Angua notices it, calls it scary, and describes it as an extending claw, which isn't wolf imagery, which is lion imagery. Because wolves don't use, don't have extending claws and don't fight with them. So, like, she knows what this is, and she doesn't like it. So I'm like, Angua, why? You know? Like, if it weren't for that last scene, I'd be like, yeah, she just thinks he's nice. But she doesn't just think he's nice. And she doesn't even think he's complicated in the way a wolf is complicated. She knows the full potential horror of this character. So what's going on? I could understand even, like, remaining this person's friend and asking him to kill you um, if if you get out of control. But, like, he, in this scene, for him, just lost control. He lost the the personal battle that he's always fighting, right? Because, like, Carrot is somebody who shouldn't claim the divine right of kings, and he just did, and that's a problem. Mm -hmm. Yep. 
Yeah, his his entire power. I totally. That's a really really like perfect distillation. Uh, his his power is the fact that he's constantly refusing the call of the narrative to be the king because that's what a good king would do, which is not be king. And then when and then when Vimes is away and can't see, yeah, <laughs> and then he did when it. Old, when old when old Stoneface is away on his honeymoon, yeah. It's, I don't know. It's spooky mm-hmm. shit. Yeah, like it's yeah. it's interesting to me. It's like the single most interesting thing he's ever done. But like, man, did I not want it to happen? Mm-hmm. Okay, so like thinking of interesting, it's Carrot reminds me of a wrestler who is presented as a face and is like too good at it, and so it's just uncanny, and nobody can like. Sure. Latch onto that because it's just too fake. And so and, and so the most interesting thing they can do is turn heel. Is turn <laughs> and heel. Yeah. Guy. And this would be the start of the heel turn, you're right. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things that always that I always feel with the Angua and Carrot arc is I don't think that Angua likes herself very much. And I think no, that's I why think it's so. that she and I think that that's why she's with Carrot. Yeah. I think we all wish that Angua liked herself better and would be able to find a life for herself outside of that relationship. Mm-hmm. But I think that there's a certain degree of self-loathing tied up with being a werewolf and et cetera that really doesn't help. Yeah. So and like it's especially like with her being a werewolf and especially being a werewolf related to Wolfgang. Yeah, mm-hmm. because she's like that is the worst case scenario, and you know, is somebody who like you know somebody who could easily see how she could like she could probably like can at least once has like mentally gone down like these are the things that would need to go wrong for me to end up like Wolfgang. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. Circling back to my you know Ted versus Ted versus Carrot thing is I think that there's a certain amount of like being concerned about others perceptions of her that like if she were to dump carrot then like i'm sure that carrot would it's not that he wouldn't care like he would be very sad about it for approximately 3.5 seconds and then he would like very heroically move on but everybody else would be like oh no that's the bitch who dumped carrot that's true right yeah that you know and it's the same thing that Ted Lasso is trying to imply that, like, I think that that's one of the things that's keeping the wife in the relationship is, like, the perception of, like, everybody loves Ted. Um, You know, if I were to leave uh, him, then that would, ref- then people would judge me for that because everybody loves him. This is potentially too creepy, but, you know, I'm not entirely convinced that Angua can leave him. Because Me too. because of because of the cloak of you know the the Indo-European kingship around him. No, I, I've thought about that yeah. a lot. Yeah, I, I'm sure. I think Carrot is a decent enough person where if they had a talk about it, it would work. But they they don't seem to ever do yeah. that. No, because Carrot like makes it impossible to have a talk about that that sort of thing. Like we we saw right. it in like uh, in Feet of Clay. Like whenever she tries to have a talk about the relationship, it's just sort of like swept up in the narrative. You know what? You're right. You're right. 
I don't think she can. Yeah. It's yeah, terrifying. Yeah. I don't know. Thinking of like beers as this queer bar and a thing I really wish I could talk about, <laughs> but I would need you to take off your hands, <laughs> Justin. I'm not doing that three times. Um, I'm so sorry. We're not doing rules of three on here. <laughs> no, that's, uh, I, I'm not going to make you. I just, I feel that there's... I feel that Eng was someone who has other options and has this element of her life unrealized. And this story feels weird and scary. And like, and I know that Terry can write actual romance, right? Mm-hmm. And like, mm-hmm. it's it's this question of like, does he just not like writing about attractive people? And he like instead is like, <laughs> I, I just like it. I just like my, my uh, when I get little weirdos together. <laughs> That's what he seems to like. Or is he doing something else that's weird here and we just never, like, see the full culmination mm. of it, you yeah. know? My yeah. my feeling is always, honestly, that if we'd had another 10 books, yeah. it would have, we, we would have hit some resolution to it. But yeah. we didn't. Yeah. And Carrot, so we don't. Carrot would definitely have come to some sort of reckoning. Yeah. That we were definitely, you know, moving toward something there steadily and something and moving towards something there with the relationship steadily i think it's telling that like the most like as somebody who like you know i we'll we'll, we'll put we'll put the caveat here listeners of that i i generally like very messy relationships um to read about because they're more fun for me um i if i wanted to look at like happy normal people who like didn't do much. I would look at my mother and stepfather. They're perfect. They're wonderful. I would shoot myself if I had to read, like, if I had like, to watch a sitcom about them. Boring. Um, it's sort of kind of fucked up that, like, the most romantic thing that Carrot does for Angua is promise that he'd kill her. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, and it's probably, like, by a pretty fair margin. Like, that's the most romantic thing he does. It, like, at least in Fleet and Feet of Clay and this book. Yeah. It's definitely the most considerate thing he's ever really, and personalized thing that he's ever really done for it's her. It's like, it, it feels like she's with him because he accepts her, but that's not something that's about her. That's, like, he accepts everyone indiscriminately. It just bugs me. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I don't have, I have a lot of good feelings about that, like, the, the, about this relationship. It's, it's... Yeah. And it's like, it, part of what bugs me is that I really like all of the potential of Angua. And I'm just like, ah, why do we have to deal with this when we could be talking about stuff like this? Like, like I read this wolf quote and I, I, I'm half Ecuador, Ecuadorian and half Irish American. And when we talk about things like intersectionality, what we run into is like that some of it doesn't really work because I'm not... I'm not just both of these things. I'm also neither of these things. I am a, a half Ecuadorian, half Irish American person, right? And that shows in everything that we do with Angua. She is a werewolf, and she is mm-hmm. a werewolf who lives in Ankh-Morpork. And that is a really unique and interesting experience. Um, and, like, her trying to deal with all of this and, like, her being in our our resident non explicitly queer bar and all of this is just like oh terry please please let's go into this character she's so cool Mm. um but but we're bogged down with a very tense and weird relationship yeah Mm -hmm. yeah i mean when i've gone off about this to to various friends they've been like man i mean 
his game must be like real good. <laughs> what else do we have? Oh, oh, on that note, I love the throwaway that Igor's must have like giant dongs, right? Yes! It's so great. It's a throwaway. Like, it's, it's so funny. That's just a great tension release yeah. where you're just like, Terry, well done. I mean, Thank you. In the you. last book, Scraps had two, so. <laughs> Yep, like, there you go. Like that that um it's just such a fantastic little throwaway of like they're they're very popular with the with the ladies for some reason. It's like <laughs> I wonder why that would be. It's a mystery. They know the uh, way around that, anatomy. Either that or you can go the he has the hands of a surgeon route. <laughs> Uh, uh, should we pick up some uh, quick uh, side passages uh, that we like? Yeah, let's do um, it. Just so that we can finish sometime before tomorrow. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I just love the 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 progression of like in the true novel. Like th- this is probably the best Chekhov reference here is the peacemaker being built up <laughs> of just like, and then finally when it happens, it is like it is as good as promised. <laughs> um, I, I just I love a good nasty murder weapon of just like this is this is something that somebody spent way too much time thinking about. Yeah. <laughs> um I, I the speaking of industrial revolution in Ankh-Morpork, um preventatives apparently are a thing. Uh Yep. <laughs> Love it. And I also really enjoyed the fact that uh, Sankey would give the preventatives freely to the watch members, specifically to prevent more watch members. Great stuff. <laughs> and and I, I also love that, like, you know, it's not just it's not just, you know, standard one size fits all, you know, uh, base purpose preventatives that um, there, there's some fun going on there, too. <laughs> Something that I really liked was the um the fire bucket scene with the clowns. I always love Oh god, god yeah. yeah. Um something that's also funny to me about that is that like uh so the night watch is based off of this uh the the Roman idea of the, the vigiles, like the vigiles and the Praetorian guard split. So that's like what Terry was spoofing in Guards Guards and the vigiles we're a fire brigade. So, like, the guard just not engaging with that is like, Terry, what are you doing, bud? But it might also be a ship of Theseus thing because things have changed. Yeah. Um, and uh, it's, like, little, but it's funny to me. Um, I also I also really thought it was beautiful when uh, Sybil sang yeah. to... Yes. To, oh, that's yeah. great. Yes. Mm-hmm. And, like... All of the the translation that we're given for it is uh, rad as hell. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> also, Sybil is the diplomat. Sam yeah. is Sam is the cover. Sybil is the diplomat. And negotiating mm-hmm. those prices. Yeah, but she also has the the cross cultural like references and sensitivity. Yeah, the knowledge yeah. that she understands how to effectively use words and play in the space of dwarves. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, one more t- touch on the uh, the ship of Theseus and Axe of my grandfather thing, but, like, the scene with the Low King giving the axe to, to Sam, um, you know, it, like, 
you know, this this will in in time be the acts of someone's grandfather. I just like, you know, I actually just outright weeped at that point, just partially because I know it's coming, but uh-huh. also partially like, you know. I speaking of like the gifts, I do think that like what the Liu King gives to Detritus. Oh, buddy, just you wait. I, it's like you know, he's like, I'll give you, I'll, I, you know, I'll reward you as I did a dwarf. Which is, yep. I think, really, it's really nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, just touching again on, on just Cheery going back with the, after that, that, you know, climactic confrontation, just really, you know, that's, that's, that's what policing should be. Yeah. It's community policing mm-hmm. in the good way. Yeah. yeah. But of course she can't stop herself being a copper because she's been trained by Vimes and comes back with a <laughs> list of all of the female dwarves in, that are in like high up in the Ankh-Morpork dwarven power structure. Oh, cheery. <laughs> if, we, if we're moving on to the stuff that stood up well to the test of time, um, I just love the gender stuff with the dwarfs. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's really good. Uh, and something that I've picked up in, the, on, in this read-through that has never really struck me before, um, you know, just because I'm older and know more about the world and et cetera, but... At no point really do the books state or assume or imply that being a woman dwarf is ac- actually has anything to do with what genitals that dwarf has. Um, yeah. That it's you know, maybe maybe we could have something with feet of clay where Angua smells that Cheery is a woman, but that's you know we could easily kind of ascribe that to Angua smelling perfume or something along those lines. But it's really, it's really self-defined identity and expression, and I really love that. And it feels, it, it's really something that has stood the test of time to me. I think he goes further with that at one point, even. I'm, I'm not going to get into it, but I think he does in Unseen Academicals. Hmm. I don't remember that, don't remember. but I will. I guess we'll see. Yeah, that's one of the ones I've only <laughs> read once. So, mm. yeah, I think there, there's a line where they're talking about. Uh, Iron Hammer and Blood Axe. There is like Blood Axe and Iron Hammer were both er weren't both they were both dwarves, sir. Ah, of course. <laughs> and then it says all dwarfs are dwarfs. If you tried to understand their world from a human point of view, it all went wrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and it just like it's so interesting to me. I I love it that you know you got this like you know great dwarf romance and it just like defies description. The early reference that Vetinari makes to when he graduated college, going on the grand sneer with his uh, with his richer um, compatriots, was was I thought very apt. Yeah, it's good. Uh, and also, the, the, there was a little exchange between, uh, and he goes like, "I assure you that I will not try to, that I will not kill you." And Vimes replies, "I know that, but will you try?" <laughs> I love the little back and forth they have about like, okay, so where's the body of yeah. uh, of of like of my colleague? Oh, it's probably it's on a ship. To- right. He's not dead. Yeah, I liked um th- things that stood up. Um, I mean the Clax is introed mm-hmm. here. I think that the Clax really does well as um not being exactly semaphore, but as early internet, which is what Terry was introing it as. Um, and also I really like the fat mines as oil. I think it's, it works. Yeah. Uh, it's great. Mm. Um, like the, the things that he's 
introducing into his, you know, medieval setting feel very modern while not breaking the the flavor and texture of the world. Mm-hmm. And and the concept of like the the natural resource that you make everything with. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it also definitely pre- uh, positions Ubervault as kind of closer to Russia than I was originally thinking because their economy is so heavily extractives based. Yeah, yeah. No, Ubervault in this one felt so much less, as we said, um, horror land mm-hmm. and so much more Russia and ex Holy Roman Empire. Um, that like, which is which is interesting to to feel that there are like XPs of different nations. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And one thing that definitely felt very German is the von Überwalds. And um, I'd say they, they like, and how they fit into both what we would consider like the pop cultural archetype and also the historical archetype of how high class Germans sort of co-opted fascism and, and how they used it of how fascism was used and the sort of, and a lot of the racist uh, and white supremacist ideas behind it were like sort of like, oh, well, we've always believed this, but now we have something that we can use to reaffirm it there. Yeah. Um, and like how in a lot of the German high command, it was made up of uh, Junker Prussian nobles. Yeah. I mean, and werewolves were, like, were, were, were like a part of the SS, right? There was a, yeah, the, a group. Uh, the, the werewolf uh divisions were an idea of to um basically create resistance groups after the allies created right. germany or after the allies uh like invaded germany and conquered it in a post-war setup it uh, did not uh end up happening because the several of the leaders behind it got killed or captured <laughs> i would love to springboard from that right into something that i didn't think aged well yeah um so Vime says this thing right after he kills, right, like right after, I think either right before or right after he kills Wolf, which is, uh, while some people were just born guilty, it was as simple as that. Anything they did became a crime simply because it was them doing it. And I was like, Vimes, that's a pretty fascist statement. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. <laughs> but, and like, oh man <laughs> there, there's there's a it's repeated multiple times through the book that it's like a policeman will always find a crime yep yes mm-hmm. right like they do a lot with policing that uh they do a, a lot with policing that i'm like that's not great and i don't like this and it it goes into the hey i wish i wish we weren't doing police stuff here but this line i'm just like vimes this is something you believe hmm. um that that the character vimes believes that some people are are born with an inherent trait that makes them good or bad and some people wind up on the bad side of that and it makes all of their actions bad and i'm like the person you're about to kill is the nazi character that's put in this book who is calling people lesser um and talking about explicit lesser races and like what what is this this is such a weird line okay now justin take off your headphones one more time Is this where the summoning dark first finds vines? Right. This is what I was thinking. Yep. I that's why I was like I think darkness and, and 
and monstrousness and all of this is setting up a lot of things that we see explicitly in later books. Hmm. Is is this moment, is killing Wolfgang, all of that, where we start to see the summoning dark finding Vimes. And, we, mm-hmm. and the very next book from this is The Truth, where Vimes, we don't like Vimes anymore. No, 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 no. Vimes is now scary. And this is, again, where it's really interesting to read them in order, because we're going to go straight from Carpe Jugulum to this, and straight from this to The Truth, where... Vimes is no longer a good guy. Explicitly. When do we when does Nightwatch happen? Soon. Uh four or five books from now. Okay. We're gonna be reading it in May. Okay. Cause like it's like just about my favorite. Mm-hmm. Where does it fall on our scary Vimes stuff? Does that resolve by then? Uh it's before Thud. Fascinating. Yeah. Huh. It's, it's just really interesting because I've never done it straight in order. Yeah. Okay, cool. we got We got to bring. We got to bring it. Yeah. Come, come back. Come back. Come back. <laughs> this sorry. one was the murderous one, just because of the sorry. lead ad. There's so like, sorry. It's like there's so many dominoes he's setting up in this book. Like it's hard. Uh, there's one that I want to talk about, but you'll be fine um, okay. because I'm only going to talk about the passage in this book. Mm-hmm. There's some stuff that I know he is thinking about because like there's a scene where we see um them at the banquet hall for reese um and uh uh, i love this i love seeing people through other people's eyes um uh sybil points out margolotta and calls her like the sad lady (laughs) it's, it's so funny um but uh but then vimes starts paying attention to people and he sees them talking in groups and those groups shifting about and ideas being exchanged. Um, and it's a prototype for a scene he'll write better one day. Mm. And um, that sort of thing keeps happening in this book in in ways that I'm like, oh, that's that's really neat. It, it, ideas are percolating here that and he's about to pop off. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What else do we think hasn't aged well? <laughs> I mean, it's holy um, stuff. <laughs> The police. Stuff. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think mean, that's that's just that's the thing we come to with every yeah. watch book, and I think in this one it is. I think honestly, the stuff with like Colin is like it's actually like it's it's probably like the least like active like the stuff in the with the Ankh-Mork Pork City watch is like honestly that's funny played for bits and stuff, but it's I think it's interesting because it's showing the industrialization of policing. Sure. Um, yeah, but I don't think there's like there's no jokes about police brutality in this book that I can remember. I think there's as one compared at the to like start with detritus before they leave Ankhmore Pork. But yeah, it's like it's not like we're with guards guards where it is a recurring bit. Um, so I, I like I don't think it's like bad, but it's a lot more insidious. I would say hmm. like sh- like showing insidious like how policing leads to certain thought patterns. Yeah, because we're in Vimes's head a lot. Yeah, and Vimes's head is a darker place than it perhaps once was, and like he has all of these rules that he constrains himself by, you know, unlike unlike the assassin who who goes out of Ankh Park and discards the rules, Vimes brings his rules with them, for better or worse, right? You know, and that's even pointed out when when they invade the Ankh Park embassy, and he's like, "Well, now you're in Ankh Park." <laughs> yeah, I like that all of our notes are. We have lines, the 
the police stuff is, uh, I'm a policeman, I can always find a crime. The first rule of policing is suspect the victim. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then he discards that. And then he says, suspect the witness. (laughs) Um, So (laughs) all of us are just like, yeah, I don't think the policing stuff's my favorite. Yeah. 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 yeah, and I, I have I have a tangled relationship with police unions too. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, it's I think it's just like an unfortunate thing of just dealing with this genre in particular. Mm. Um, you know, as somebody who has like a very like a lot of formative experiences with like police procedural media, as like you know, it's I was a weird child who was obsessed with murder. Um, <laughs> Uh, and so it's just like, and it's you know, it's like there's stuff of like, okay, reconciling that. And it's it's interesting because we're you know we're getting so much of that because we are in Vimes's head so much. But mm-hmm. yeah, this is you know, we're we're not always supposed to like Vimes in this one. I think. Yeah, and even the like, the fight on the on the parapet or bridge or whatever, carrot conforms to Vimes's rules to carrot's detriment. Right, but it's because Carrot and Vimes are in the same scene. So I think that Carrot's like narrative pursuit is basically like I have to, uh, you know, is his first uh, going with the Terminator uh, or robot thing. Mm-hmm. Like his his first command is like, you know, if Vimes is here, then I must be what Vimes expects me to be. Well, that's as I was saying. Vimes kind of I think Vimes contains Carrot. Carrot works on the scaffolding of Vimes. Similarly, I think Vimes has like. As we were just talking about these rules, Vimes has his own scaffolding that mm-hmm. he sits upon that mm-hmm. contains Vimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, boy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> which, like, he, which Terry writes in other characters, right? Like, like Granny. Mm-hmm. Um, but, <laughs> like, Terry really likes this character. The the person who is good despite themselves because they know it's what they're, it's what the, I guess what the world requires or it's the doing the right thing isn't easy etc blah 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 all those all these things that we know by now and we don't need to discuss <laughs> i think that that's an interesting point though because you know again again with this one being right on the heels of carpe jugulum you know we've just been we've just had a book where a major fan favorite character was in the wrong a lot that's right granny's rough in that book mm-hmm. yep and everyone thinks that she's fairly monstrous in it and now we're starting to see monstrous vimes yep. mm-hmm. and those are two that's two cool big characters <laughs> well they're two author inserts yep. yeah, very much so uh should we jump over to discworld references yeah let's do that we get a bunch of stuff of just like just like little, little, little fun stuff. Like, uh, Kat, you mentioned that there's like, we get a name check for the Lanker delegation. Yes, that was my favorite thing. <laughs> it was just like that the Lanker delegation is here, that they had their own little house set up. Um, and I was just like, tell us, God, my God, tell us who's here. Sean oh, is Varen's here? Like, or yes, did you get Sean. the witches? It's probably Sean. <laughs> oh, that's so good. And just like, Sean. Uh, <laughs> He's got he's got a special hat though, so it's fine. Yeah, I love it. That's so cool. And he gets back, and everybody's like, "Uh, the privies." Uh, I, I love great the, stuff. Great stuff. I loved when I think it's Nobby is says Vimes is going to go absolutely berser, completely librarian poo. I, I love that. I love that they are, are like genre aware enough to know these in, in universe references. 
It's good. Yeah. Oh, death in this one. Yeah. <laughs> death is just like, I don't know. They've introduced a new thing at my job. It makes it very confusing, but I'm here anyways. And I'm just like, what a good boy. <laughs> you might die. I don't know. I mean, I do oh, know. But but you, the reader, don't know. <laughs> yeah. It was. This one was fairly internally tight, It actually, wasn't it? Yeah. It was really interesting to see uh, Gaspard again, and like, yeah, I really remember hating him, and I don't, and it's wild. Um, <laughs> Something that Jude and I were talking about a couple days ago was that, like, maybe it's just that we get older now. Like, our ta- like, we have like, sure, it's like easier for us to like really say, like, I don't care about this. I don't want, to. and it's just like, it's like maybe we were just young and dumb. <laughs> It's it's interesting because there's some stuff that I definitely dislike a lot more than none of the police stuff really pinged my radar last time I read this. You know, certainly a lot of the carrot stuff, like you know, carrot was always like protagonist good boy. It's it's interesting to see the oscillation of what stuff moves up and what stuff moves down. Yeah, it's very interesting seeing carrot not just as himbo. Yeah, mm-hmm. oh, no, I wanted to actually talk about this. Mm. Like, it's been a while since we've revisited this, but I would like to, just like as the professor of hemology on this podcast, sure. I would like to withdraw that status for him. Fair. I was like, going to say, I do not believe Carrot is a himbo. He's far too intelligent. Yeah, like, I, I was, like this was originally assessed in Guards Guards, and I'm like, I'm Fair. respecting that I think now. he, I think I he think was he, a himbo in Guards Guards. Yeah, I don't think he's particularly nice either. Correct. Yep. <laughs> But he wants this will be the guards. thing that this will be the thing that destroys our mentions. I'm sure. Of that. <laughs> oh no! Well, it's okay. You can all blame me, please. I'm the. Keep in mind that I was the one who said the carrot's my least favorite character in the disc. I mean, it's an entire, especially with what he does in this book. It's an entirely reasonable evaluation. And then, and then again, I, with the uh, you know, lawful good doesn't mean lawful stupid. Is he either mm-hmm. lawful yeah. or good? Mm. I mean, it depends on your cultural reference. Yeah. yeah. And, but in terms of, you know, it's it's interesting because we could make a good argument for neither. Yeah. He's definitely lawful. Is he, though? He is lawful. He's Well, he's yeah. definitely lawful according to the disc's law. Like, uh-huh. whatever natural law is here. But then again, when Vimes is out of town, he uses his, you know, he uses his right as king to reinstate the watch. But divine right of kings is natural uh, law. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, he, he, like, if we wanted to, like, go into this, <laughs> like, he represents a, like, oh, this reminds me, we actually have to go into this, like, after we're done talking about the book, but we'll, we'll save that for afterwards, <laughs> before we before we do my bit at the end. Um, but I think, like, he's lawful in the sense that he represents a natural or, like, narrative and universal order. Yeah. 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 I was going to say, he's like, he's not, he is not the city, right? Like, he is not the city and the people and civilization. He's something else on the disc. And that's not necessarily terrible, but what we in the disc are told to care about is civilization and people and the stories that they choose to create instead of the things that are thrust upon them. Mm hmm. Uh, How did other, we get there? Uh, yeah, I mean, 
There's a lot. There's a lot of meat on the bone in this book. Yeah, um, we were we were talking about hating Gaspone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that poor doggy. He's- oh, I wanted to say before we got off the other the other references because it's not like he had like, a material scene, but we just didn't talk about this scene. I think we will in a few seconds, but we won't talk about him. Uh, I like seeing Leonard, and I think it was cool that he made espresso. Yeah. Yes, yeah, <laughs> yes, and the Enigma machine too. Yeah, yeah, that yeah, was, was really that cool. was the part that I was like, oh, he made the Enigma machine. Actually, that yeah, was a really, really interesting. Cool that whole scene was a really interesting parallel to what's happening with the clacks in general. Because, you know, information is flying around faster, and Vetinari needs a code that is hard to break, but not unbreakable. But not unbreakable, yeah. so that people can know what... I need a feedishly uh, accurate code. Not an unbreakable one. He's like, well, I'm going to have to study feeds. Right. Oh my God. Yep. <laughs> because, because Vetinari wants people to feel like they've gotten something of value from... Oh, okay. Wait, no. This is this is presaging uh, the early part of that first scene in uh, going postal. Mm. He wants to give them hope. Oh no! <laughs> oh no! You're right. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I mean, yeah. Creating, creating. You create. Uh, you create a breakable code so you can leak stuff that your enemy will assume is valid. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Diplomacy. Mm-hmm. So we're on to what else do we think is important to talk about? Mm-hmm. Is, is there anything that in here that we haven't caught up? Yeah. I mean, do you want to go back on the, the layers of monstrousness? Um, or do you yeah. feel like we covered that? Well, I think we've mostly covered this. Mm-hmm. I just think it's an interesting topic. Mm-hmm. We don't need to talk about it here because there are other books that you all will. <laughs> I just, I, I think it's an interesting yeah. thing to track what this is for him. Because mm-hmm. clearly... The idea of being othered is important to Terry Pratchett, mm-hmm. and battling darkness is important to him. And the spaces where these two things intersect is a big deal. And I feel like he he definitely started on it in uh, the Carpe Jugulum, mm-hmm. like, but that was a very different book. And this is a book that brings it into civilization. Mm-hmm. And uh, is talking about it in different ways. And everyone was doing the Ship of Theseus and the the control themes, right? So it was a lot more personalized. Mm-hmm. Um, and we weren't just, like, seeing one mythical granny going through this this internal fight. But, like, everyone trying to figure out their stuff and battling with these themes in some way. Even when it's, like, pretty figured out with, like, Cheery. Cheery still was like, well... I'm gonna wear this sometimes, you know, figuring out how she wants to express one element of being othered. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, I would, I'd like you to track this theme <laughs> and yeah, and discuss it with an hour later with me or somebody else at some point because we don't have the time. Yeah, well, and you know, just like. Going by what happened a couple months ago, I cannot fathom anybody who actually read any of these books thinking that Terry would, in any lifetime, be related to the TERFs. Like, right? Like, what the <laughs> heck? I know, yeah. right? It's so. Oh my uh, gosh. Yeah, they they read like Light Fantastic and nothing else, I guess. Yeah. Or the, oh man, they purposely misread Equal Rights. Yeah. They purposefully misread Equal Rights. It's such yeah. a bummer. Yeah. Yeah, uh, you know, I still, I still am utterly confused as to why uh, 
uh, Terry thought it was important to to reference three sisters, the Cherry Orchard, and Uncle Vanya in the space of a couple of pages. But you know that that's for that's for I, the scholars to figure out. I just got to imagine it's just like one day he's just going through it and he's just like banging through it and it's like that page exists. You know, he was probably like, you know, I'm I'm out of witches books. Here, let's toss these. I've got I've got a few literary references, you know, kicking around at the bottom of the drawer. Let's just toss them in here. It's close enough. Anything else we want to catch? Uh, this is this is the circumference right here. We're, we're let's tie it up. Okay, so uh, let's do our silly ratings now. Um, Anna, you want to lead us off? I would give it ten ink more pork cents a barrel and not a penny less. Uh, Kat, you have something? I would rate it an entire Ultra Soprano. Justin? I'll rate it a whole bundle of splintered crossbow bolts flying gleefully. (laughs) And I gave it 11 out of two spare ears on Eerie. Beautiful. Okay, before we do do the bit, I have a a question for Kat. This is just an entire... So, as a a game designer and and, and GM... Mm -hmm. If you were running something in Discworld, what would you want to do? Um, used to say I haven't. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, you know, yeah, you know, like or uh, oh gosh, I would do. Uh, oh, I pitched something to Nigel Planer, and he was going to do it, but then the estate was like, uh, "Not right now, guys." Um, so he was going to play veterinary. Um, I was going to play Granny. Um, who was, uh, James was going to play Vimes. Um, we were going to do a thing about magic being displaced on the magic going weird and having to travel to the, to the hub, fighting gods and replacing them. Magic going weird because Zoteri had disappeared. Mm. And, um, do we were gonna do that. It was it was a it was a neat process to go through the pitch of it, um, and and to to talk to to Mister Planer about the whole thing. Um, I would like to do something like that one day because that would be a fun game to run. But otherwise, I'd like to do anything. I love I love the disc a lot. We were we were noodling in in Discord a long time ago about. Uh taking uh erica's flying circus and running mm-hmm. a an industry novel uh in Discworld where where they discover powered flight oh cool in part because there's the witch playbook yeah 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 that's that sounds like a lot of fun something that i've always wanted to see in ankh pork is the subway mm-hmm. um yeah and I, I would love to to see stuff exploring that space mm-hmm. We also had the we also had the fever dream idea of sexy battle wizards. Hmm. <laughs> but please, please do not say <laughs> those words around the disc. <laughs> no, 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 no. And you know, a a uh, swords of the serpentine like uh, assassins, young assassins guild would be interesting. Yeah. I have a diploma from the assassin's guild somewhere around here <laughs> a diploma in diplomacy i love those losers it's a it's a nicely put together thing yeah it's it's a bummer that so much of um pyramids has you know the the orientalism issue yeah. because the assassin's guild part is just straight fire 
I agree. And also, some of it structurally in the beginning is like, hey, are you trying to rip off Star Wars? Because I feel like you are intentionally. It's interesting. And then, but like, but like, I could never in good faith recommend pyramids to anybody. Um, <laughs> we, we were horrible monsters. Um, mm-hmm. We, we had our, we had a friend of ours and and she is Egyptian, and mm-hmm. her first Discworld book was unfortunately no! pyramids. That she she, she said, have, you know, hey, I'll come on the show and do this. We were we were you know eight books in. We didn't know what we were doing. Sure. And I hadn't Oof. reread pyramids in a long time. Right, right. But like, Tepic at the Assassins Guild. Very interesting, cool stuff. The whole Assassin's Guild thing in in there. You know, all the scenes in the Assassin's Guild are super fun. Yeah, I love it. It's really, genuinely, really, really cool. Yeah. I feel like there's a, like, there there's, like, in the, in the floating, like, cosmic rays of imagination, that there is a mist particle of inspiration where there is a Terry, like, Terry writes a, an entire book of, like, YA Assassin's Guild. Yeah, like, I mean, uh, my current, parody. I would read. My current role-playing character is, is an assassin kid. Like, that's just because, because Terry wrote this so well. It's very compelling. I would, I would love to read a series of books about Inigo, uh Skimmer growing up. <laughs> yeah, because let me tell you. <laughs> growing up in a similar situation that wasn't fun for him yeah absolutely um that would that would be a fantastic set of books it would it would be really cool mm-hmm. uh um i i was curious on uh shipping corner uh, <laughs> we didn't do shipping corner obviously oh. we've already talked about uh carrot and angua I'm used to y'all talking about Vimes and Vatanari, and this didn't happen yet. Are you going to do it? There's, there's, I mean, I, there's like, there's pretty much like the start of the book, and like, mm-hmm. I just love all their scenes together. Yeah. They're, 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 uh, they're just two nasty men. Yeah. Like, <laughs> they are. They're, 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 they are, they're this angry flamingo and a basset hound who are. Yeah. They're, they're two nasty men who enjoy being nasty, and you can take that however you want. Yeah, I, 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 like, I sort of, like, I sort of kind of wish that they had, like, some fun, like, for lack of a better chip to think of, like, some Magneto and Xavier moments of where they're just, like, doing, they're just, like, talking over a thing. Like, because Vimes is out in Uberwald the entire time. Like, I want, I just, you know, I could do with an extra scene or two of them in a book, like, in the office talking about anything and <laughs> making veiled comments at each other. Yeah. It's just good. It's a good feeling. Well, and then there's, you know, the veterinary Margalata implications. <laughs> God, yeah, I... Yep. What did you think? I love that. That's good. like, that's, a, it's a very, like, I feel like, yeah, the, the... I think Veterinari is like somebody who finds attraction to other beings because I, you know, I'm pretty sure like is entirely based on like some correlation between how dangerous they are to him uh-huh. and how interesting he finds them. <laughs> like on like, on like, not like as like a person, but on like a strategic level. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, and, and also Veterinari and Carrot are, are two sides of the same coin, except that Veterinari knows and acknowledges that he's using people. 
Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Vetinari mm-hmm. intends to be a knife, right? And uh, also openly acknowledges the control that he wants for, and, like, has. Mm-hmm. It's it's like Carrot almost has this, like, sleight of hand that you're focusing so hard on the sword that you don't notice the knife. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, should we do oh. the bit? Yeah. Yes. So we're 60% of the way there. Yeah. We're, we're, uh, That's really cool. Yeah. All right. The Truth, book 25. The denizens of Ankh-Morpork fancy they've seen just about everything. But then comes the Ankh-Morpork Times, struggling scribe William DeWord's upper crust newsletter turned Discworld's first paper of record. An ethical journalist, DeWord has a proclivity for investigating stories, a nasty habit that soon creates powerful enemies eager to stop his presses. And what better way to start than The Inquirer, a titillating, well, what else would it be, tabloid that conveniently interchanges what's real for what sells. But DeWord's got an inside line on the hot story concerning Ankh-Morpork's leading patrician, Lord Vetinari. The facts say Vetinari is guilty, but as William DeWord learns, facts don't always tell the whole story. There's that pesky little thing called the truth. Oh, I'm I'm digging this. I love this. I'm really excited for you. This is... Oh yeah, like there, there, there are somewhere I'm like I don't know where this is gonna go, and I'm gonna be like I look forward to this because I know Terry got to start start off with journalism, mm-hmm. <laughs> so I know there's gonna be some screaming hot takes. Here. <laughs> He's coming in with yep. fire. Yeah, especially considering where the where journalism was in 2000 2001 in the UK. Oh yeah, thinking about it too, all of the like. I'm pretty sure all of the one shots from here on out are pretty much bangers. Hmm. But yeah, I'm really excited for you. I love that one. The Complete Discography is an independent production by four people who just really like these books. All opinions expressed during the show are our own. All quotes from primary or related works are used under the Fair Use Doctrine and remain copyrighted by their original owners. The music from this podcast is sourced from Incompetech. That info can be found in the show notes. The rest of it is distributed under a Creative Commons 4.0 attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license. Share it. Please, share it. But say where you got it, don't make money off it, and don't change it. Connect with the show at a 2 pod, which is... A-T-U-I-N underscore P-O-D or email us at atuin.pod at gmail.com.